Naturophysics is a concept astrophysicist Leroy Larry developed that explains in down-to-earth scenarios how the principles of physics could have come about from observing nature. Each episode begins with a scenario, followed by an example to illustrate the application of these principles in futuristic research at the frontiers of science, such as Leroy's astrophysics doctoral research at Cinespa, Center for Space Research, and then concludes with an exploration of how these same principles could have very well been used by ancient cultures and civilizations. Mathematics is naturally encountered and incorporated as the exciting and fun tool of science that it is. Science is the window into our amazing world of nature, and mathematics is the tool to open that window. Natural physics encompasses current, futuristic, and ancient physics, and ties them together by the principles of physics that are common threads running throughout each. Greetings, I'm Leroy Larry, and welcome to Natural Physics, live from Costa Rica. Happy and safe holidays to you and your families. I want to say to everyone out there, way to go on the responses that we got from our Ukraine special that we did back in April. Way to step up, way to go as a global community. I mean, it was awesome. And please remember that the contact information that was given during that episode is still in effect. The effort is still continuing. So please continue to do what you've been doing. What, a, what an awesome global community. Um, Seated next to me is my lovely wife, Tirza. Oh, thank you, sweetie. Hi, my name's Tirza, and I happen to be married to Leroy uh, Davis, Professor Leroy Larry. Yes, that's who I am. I'm Tirza, and then I'm then I'm then I'm the wife, <laughs> the lovely wife, according to my husband, Leroy Larry. Thank you, baby. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. And. Um, you may remember from that show that my uh, colleague, author Bruce Callow, uh, who's from Canada, was volunteering in Warsaw, Poland to help with the <laughs> Ukraine refugees. And he is my guest today. Hello, Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Hello. Nice to see everyone. Bruce. That was a great show, and um, how how how's it been going? Is Carl, uh, everybody, another volunteer from the United States was uh, that that was there at that time? Carl Vol, uh, is he still there, Bruce? Um, no, he he came back to the states a few months ago, and he's kind of uh, gone gone to ground, as they say, uh, off social media. I'm not sure exactly what he's up to at the moment, but he uh, was, he lived such an intense experience. I think he's just taking some time off for himself to kind of uh, recover. Wow. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and plug in my mic so, so Tears can hear our conversation. 
Can you hear me, Bruce? Yep, I can hear okay. you. Yeah, I'm just gonna, when we get into the, uh, the later on in the program and she goes and does her thing, I'll put the headphones back on. But you sound for, like Dr. Schwimmer. She, <laughs> she, Tirza. Well, I, I remember at one point, Carl was actually helping to build houses, right? There. Oh yeah. Yeah, he did a lot. He did a lot of fundraising, and uh, he was helping out with dogs, actually, too. Um, sort of like the Humane Society of Ukraine. Um, he was volunteering in all kinds of different areas, you know, rebuilding the country, basically, um, giving a lot of hope to a lot of sort of uh, profile to a lot of the, the smaller projects going on. So yeah, I haven't heard from him in a little while. I hope he's doing okay, and uh, really admired him. Yeah, that's. A, I'm sorry. Go ahead, babe. Uh, Bruce, uh, when when the podcast that you and Leroy did, uh, which was awesome, amazing, at that time, I want to say it only been three weeks, or you were going for three weeks. I know three weeks in there, but at that time, there's only 3.5 million approximately refugees that came into Poland, and the largest thing was that they were running out of resources, basic things, toothpaste, soap, and all of that. And one of the things that I recall that you brought into that music, and that's one of the things, I'm sorry, what was his name again? Uh, oh, Carl. Carl, excuse me. Um, that you guys were dealing with the children because these parents were coming in uh, shell-shocked and didn't know how to prepare for their future and take care of their children. And you guys were um, maintaining the children and doing things with them so that the parents could go have a breakdown or, or just have a few minutes alone and the kids could just be kids. And I wanna say that that stayed with me and, and going back and forth to California from Costa Rica to work, I was sharing that experience with uh, my clients, my friends, my patients, et cetera. And I just wanted to give you a, a, a a heartfelt warmth for that of the children and that you felt something in there. And I know that you just recently had a, an amazing celebration that I was part of the luncheon. Thank you very much. And uh, I would like you to show that as well. However, we didn't know that I was Polish and I'm sitting on the biggest Polish part of me, which is a dupas. And so I just wanted to thank you for that, Bruce, um, while we're here revisiting the show that you guys did in Ukraine. So thank you very much, buddy. Mwah. Blessings. Um, no, no, it's it's a it's a pleasure. The the, the key the key thing in a in a conflict like this is to go the distance. And I think after the first three months or so or six months, it started to get harder for people to um, sort of keep up the pace and helping in that. And so I haven't been helping like, you know, in profound day-to-day -day ways, like say Carl was in, in Ukraine. But what I've been doing since I got back in March was we've had organized a, a volunteer program where donors, you know, buy the flights for Ukrainians to come to Canada. And we've brought uh, practically, I think 40, 40 now uh, settled into Canada. So thanks to the, the you know the the generosity of donors, and then now with the the benefit concert funds, um, we're helping kids a different way. Uh, we're purchasing a power generator. The money just got sent actually um, a couple of days ago for an orphanage in Lviv, 
Um, so that's 168 kids um, that'll have a backup power source in case um, they get, you know, that their power grid goes down after an attack. Um, they'll have a backup system. So the kids will stay warm, at least in that particular uh, orphanage. So yeah, those are those are nice things that we feel good about. And there's still a need for that kind of stuff. And it's complicated, the logistics, but we're working through, we're not experts in this. We've got some good partners on the ground in, in Ukraine. Well, and Bruce, they'll always be warm because you touch their lives. And so the warmth of you will always be in their heart. That's what I think. Thanks. Yeah, I know. I mean, the world community has come together and and we got to keep that. We have to keep this up in the long run. I mean, um, I grew up with parents who went through the Second World War and that was four or five years of hardship. And I think the world sometimes gets tired after a while of conflict and it gets tuned out, actually. And we can't we can't tune this one out. We have to do our best, despite all the other problems that go on, even in our own communities and our lives to try to reserve some some space for for this type of problem. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. That's so true. I mean, um, you you and Carl, you were right there at ground ground zero. I mean, you're at the grassroots level uh, doing the elbow grease, the work. Uh, I think I think Carl used the term boots to the ground something like that and that's just exactly what uh you the two of you were doing and uh that show was very intense for me um and and listening to the young lady who was the coordinator of the of the effort to help the refugees i mean it was uh oh it'll always be one of my favorite shows i mean and i hope people will continue to visit that show either on the podcast or the YouTube and Facebook, get the contact information, keep using it, forward it on because it's, it's an ongoing effort. And, um, uh, Bruce, I want, Oh, Sorry, go ahead. Just, baby. It, it, while he's saying that as usual, I'm interrupting, but, and we couldn't have done any, any of this without our producer, Ray Brown. Through that. Um, thank you, Ray. Thank you, Ray. And uh, all of you Ray. together, but obviously we couldn't have done the podcast without Ray. Oh, there we go. Uh, those of you that are listening, if you go to www.leroylarry.com, It'll take you to the information that we're talking about, and it has other information on there, too, uh, that you can access the Natural Physics website, and I, I hope you, you enjoy it. But uh, yes, and uh, Bruce, I wanted to ask you, um, the status of the Ukraine refugees, has it has it changed significantly since you were there uh, that you know of? Has it improved, hopefully? Well, Poland and other surrounding countries have been basically inundated. I don't know the exact numbers. I saw some statistic of like 8 million Ukrainians in Poland now, and there are more waves still, still arriving. So I don't okay. know the exact number. But whatever we saw back in March, probably double it 
or, or even triplet. Um, wow. People are being around to different places. The, the, the phenomenon now is in some cases they, the Ukrainians are in Poland and you know there's only a, so many jobs, right? There are only right. so many places to live. So by helping some of them get to, to Canada where they've got host families or friends or their own family members waiting for them, that, um, that takes some of the pressure off Poland a little bit and helps these people, you know, get on to a, get on to a better life. Because I think Poland is pretty much at the saturation point right now. Yes, yes. Um, now, the effort that you participated in in your home country of Canada of helping people get from there from there to to Canada. How did how did that come about? What how, how did that how did that start? That that specific effort of getting people on uh, airplane tickets to get them to Canada. Yeah, well, I met that key key person Roman um, in in Poland. He was volunteering, and uh, he and I just hit it off. He's Romanian or sorry Ukrainian, but he grew up in Canada, and uh, okay. Anyway, we, we met very briefly, and then we were talking afterwards, what are the main priorities, what can be done? And he said, yeah, just getting getting the flights, helping to take some of that economic pressure off them by, by sponsoring flights. So then I, I put that proposal to a few of my contacts, and uh, luckily enough, many of them uh, came forward to purchase flights. And then a, a couple of journalists, friends of mine, put out articles and papers like the Calgary Sun, the Calgary Herald, and that started a whole process. Um, so now it's a continuous thing. Um, yeah, it goes on every every month. There's a few new people showing up and Roman takes care of all of the, the he sort of helps to, to choose and screen the people who have Canadian visas are all set to fly, have homestays. And then, um, yeah, we match them with the donor and uh, off they go to their new life, which is not an easy life, but it's a it's a different set of problems, and, and at least they're they're safe. <laughs> true that, true that. Um, wow, that that is truly amazing. That uh, people coming together can accomplish can accomplish such such things. Um, the the these people. Do, do they, do you keep, I know you don't keep track of them, but do you maybe have the opportunity to touch base with them later or do they, do they holler back at you sometime and let you know how, how it's going? Anything like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What, what I do is I try to track, uh, well, not keep, keep having on who's come in and, um, you know, we do like we have a little map actually, where um, where people where we just put on that map of Canada where the people are are from, and um, and where they ended up, and we do keep in contact with a few. Some know they're, they're not as you know, commu- they're not, not communicating much, but others even send us greeting videos that we showed at the concert. Um, it depends on on the individual. And yeah, we've got them all over. Well, a lot settled in Toronto. There's a few in Ottawa. Um, there's a bunch, obviously, in Alberta, 
Canada because that's like the sort of the epicenters of Ukrainian communities outside of Ukraine. Um, I believe Canada has the biggest Ukrainian community outside of the country itself. And my province, Alberta, is a good place to go if you want to meet uh, Ukrainians. So <laughs> they already Excellent. had a pretty good support, good support network. And um, yeah, a few people with a few bucks in their pocket, you know, willing that Alberta is an oil producing province. So yeah, that, that works too, right? <laughs> in this oh, case. Well, for sure, for sure. Did you say you had a question? I did babe? have a question. Okay, babe. Um, Bruce, I, as I've been going back and forth, I noticed that you had a, a lot of, um, I don't want to use the word volunteers, but that's kind of what they did either through Miles, but for sponsorship of these families from Ukraine. How many to date since uh, you were able to go there and volunteer your wonderful time? Yeah, I think we're I think we're up to forty now, Teresa, and um, I get I, I get a little bit behind sometimes because we had a like a rush. We have one one really wonderful uh, couple in California, right there in Los Angeles, and they've sponsored ten, all just themselves. Um, so what happens? They 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 sponsored a, a, a mother and a son or daughter. They they come into Canada. Then they have a little quick Zoom meeting with them the next week, 15-minute meet and greet. And then he always sends an email about three minutes later, okay, two more. And it's just like, <laughs> this guy's crazy, amazing, uh, Neil. Um, I can't say enough about some of these people. But it, it seems to be a, a way that works. Like, it's not tax deductible or anything. Nobody gets, like, receipts. So they're doing it, you know, out of their, out of their heart. Um, and some people I appreciate, they want to get the tax receipt and we're not able to do that. So that shows even more commitment on the part of the donors, right? That's so amazing. Now, and another amazing thing I wanted to bring up, and um, I know you you recall that um, I really liked your t-shirt on Saturday and I took a photo of that shirt. And did you happen to get that when you were in Warsaw or is that something that someone gave you? I'm curious about that. And maybe you could share with us all here besides myself um, about that t-shirt. What do you oh, think? Well, it was actually made, it was actually sort of a custom made shirt. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to wear something special for my first communion. And um, so that's what I that's what I wore, and Poland was a big, uh, you know, a big influence on me to, you know, to become Roman Catholic, which I did, did really well last week. And um, Father Jersey, the, I honor him wearing that shirt um, because he was killed by Soviet secret service back in 1983 um, for opposing the regime. Um, at the time, and thanks to people like him, um, they sort of knocked a, a chink in the wall. <laughs> a very early little piece of the Berlin Wall went down. You know, thanks to people like him, even though they weren't, they're not really recognized exactly at that moment. But because of the groundwork that people like him did, it laid the, it was easier for the actually the the end result of the the overthrow of the Soviet Union. So Poland, when their Catholic faith helped them, you know, achieve that and, and endure so many years of oppression, whether it was under the Soviets or 
or other uh, periods of history? Um, I'm, I'm going to read your T-shirt. Is that all right with you? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, I was baptized Catholic, as was my husband. Um, however, my mom decided she wanted to be an atheist, and so and my father was an altar boy Catholic. And so I grew up with a lot of um, introduction to religions, to spiritualism and all that. However, um, I did enjoy going to church with my grandmother, and I was very blessed that when she was house-ridden that she could still receive communion. I, I, I love all religions. However, um, I chose not, as I call it, not to have hors d'oeuvres, which uh, you took that step forward, and I admire you that for that immensely. But the T-shirt read... A Christian must at all times be a witness to and defender of justice, goodness, truth, freedom, and love. Father Jersey with the Z in it. And I'm going to, I hopefully pronounce this correctly. Father Jersey Popa Eluzko, Polish priest and martyr, 1947 to 1984. And um, I, I love that. That's what it said, a Christian, and that's basically being a human being. And I appreciate that I'm in your orbit as a great human being, Bruce. Oh, well, it's, it's um, okay, so I'm almost done. I go back a ways. Yeah, so you remember I, one, you, uh, Bishop you know. Romero from El Salvador? Mm -hmm. That was that was back along. That was another person I greatly admired. You know, fighting against an oppression from another superpower. So, just in case anyone is uh, wondering, um, I I don't have any particular affiliation, whether it's left, right, middle, or whatever you want to call it. It's just I just call it as I see it. Whether it's one superpower oppressing a region or another, who I won't get into. And you know wait, how? Wait, Bruce. I could do it. Okay. Wait. I did it, Bruce. Oh. I could do it. Wow. <laughs> I can't do it on my. I, I can't do it on my right hand though. Why is that? I do can't. you know why? I gotta pull my fingers apart. I can. Well, I can, yeah. We can all do that. But how come I can do? Can you do it with both hands, Bruce? Oh yeah. Okay. Now. There's a therapy wow. you can get. Now, okay. Bruce, I know there was a special connection between Canada and the Ukraine, which is very intriguing because we talk about a global community. And now, Tirza mentioned the Polish part of her. Baby, would you just enumerate the other six deals you got going on? Okay, so my father's mother was Polish and Basque. Basque, uh, that's in Spain, everybody, Spanish Basque, okay? And then uh, we thought we were Dutch. However, we are not Gaib, G-E-I-B as in boy. It was uh, a B, looks like a double S in German. So my uh, father's father was German. My mother's mother was Yugoslavian. And her father was English, Irish, and Scottish. So I'm a European mutt with a big ass. <laughs> I don't know if everybody wanted to hear that last little <laughs> well, bit of information. That's a, that's a dupa, huh, Bruce? Yeah, okay. Um, Dr. Lubovic would like that. I don't know all, all about that. 
<laughs> my impression was the people were quite, quite slim, pretty much. I am slim. I'm just know. saying I have a big ass. <laughs> how about, I didn't know they were all win wearing winter jackets. Everyone was like covered up. That's what I hate about those countries. <laughs> As everybody sees, I'm just mum on this one. I'm not even going to comment. Okay, so it's our Christmas store, but it's also the summer solstice, and we were hoping for our winter, winter solstice. Winter solstice. Yeah. What's the different word? Solstice. solstice. Winter, winter solstice is the shortest day and the longest night of the year. Summer solstice is the exact opposite. It's the longest day and the shortest night. Okay. Okay. So Mariella was supposed to be joining us, um, and obviously because she's a busy, busy teacher and a busy mom and lady, For sure. she's unable to be here. So I kind For of sure. wanted to be a little bit of a filter, but I think you guys are kind of done with me about right now. And so let's go on to your big announcement. Okay. How's well, that? Yeah, let's start cranking on that. And baby, thank you so much. Pop back in. But I do have an announcement to make that I think could be of uh, epic proportions. So I will, okay. uh, I'm going to pop my headphones back on. Okay. You're going to go do your thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bye, baby. Bye, baby. Thank you. Bye. Okay. All righty. Okay. You know, you can always go tune in on YouTube, baby. It's probably going right now. All right. I'm going to get hooked up here. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Now, Bruce, thank you so much for that update. And again, everybody, remember the effort is continuing. Okay, so keep. Oh, oh, and and one thing I want to mention that among the activities that Bruce was involved with and organized was a, a beautiful concert uh, at a church in Calgary, and uh, I'm sure you can. I don't know if it was recorded. Was it recorded, Bruce? I mean, can people go and look at that at, at any time? Yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, all, yeah, all all two hours of it. <laughs> yeah, and you and y'all can check out Bruce rocking out. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, so and just like our podcast, the 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 live stream part of it on YouTube and Facebook, you can go and check it out anytime, everybody. So yeah, uh, Bruce, if they wanted to type in and on YouTube to find it, what what would they type in? Uh, St. David's United Church Ukraine Benefit Concert. Okay. Okay. Could you repeat it one more time, Bruce? Yeah. St. David's United Church um, Benefit Concert Ukraine. Okay. That's how I, yeah, that's it. That's cool because I watched some of it again after I had watched it live and, um, again the the folk music the instruments and so beautiful so 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 beautiful um 
Okay. So now, hey, perfect. It's half hour. We got a half hour to go. So let's get the rolling on what I would like to announce. Um, and by the way, those of you that are listening on Facebook and YouTube, you can type in comments at any time, okay? You, you sure can. Once I get to talking what I'm talking about, if you want to type in, Leroy, you don't know what you're talking about, or Leroy, what? You can do that, okay? <laughs> All right. Now, last year, uh, we started out our first season of natural physics using physics and mathematics to analyze the mysterious stone spheres of Costa Rica. They're found nowhere else in the world, everybody. I mean, and the area within Costa Rica is very, very small. In fact, it's 10 hectares, which amounts to about a tenth of a square kilometer. Uh, Costa Rica itself is around 51,000 square kilometers. So think what a small percentage, one-tenth of a square kilometer is of 51,000 square kilometers. And then when you think about the percentage of the land mass of the earth that Costa Rica is, wow, does that tell you what a special area it is that these stone spheres were found and found nowhere else in the world. It never ceases to fascinate and amaze me. You have pyramids around the world, but you only have spheres in this little tenth of a square kilometer in Costa Rica. Unbelievable, okay? So we started out using physics and mathematical equations to get an idea of how much one of these spheres might weigh. And we came up with 10 tons. And then we were gonna use physics and mathematics to try to figure out how did whoever, whenever, and why ever, how in the world did they construct these perfectly spherical, solid stone spheres? And they range in size from almost like little marbles to eight meters across. And not only how were they made, how were they transported, okay? I mean, how are you gonna transport a 10-ton sphere? How? Thousands of years ago. In one of the episodes, I showed how they had to use a special tow truck to tow the Space Shuttle Endeavor from the Los Angeles airport to the California uh, Museum, uh, Space Science Museum, right? Specially built tow truck that just inched along and the Endeavor weighed 85 tons. So you gotta figure what human power was used to move these huge spherical artifacts. So that's what we were doing in the first season of our show last year. I like to call it a season. We went from May to uh, July. And, um, and then in one episode, Mariella Bonilla, uh, she was our guest. She's a teacher in Guanacaste. And she informed us 
that a friend of hers had been told word of mouth by the Badukas, the indigenous Badukas here in Costa Rica, that the spheres were once used as a lunar calendar and that they could predict lunar eclipses. Oh, we were spellbound, everybody. I mean, I had never heard that before. I, I had not. Lunar calendar? That would put the Barucas right there with the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Sumerians, Babylonians, Chinese, Maya, Aztec, Inca, right? Lunar calendar? Oh, that's serious. <laughs> that's the sign of an advanced civilization. So let me just say that from then on, down the Baruca road we went. It became our endeavor to try to use physics and mathematics to try to help the Baruca regain that ancient knowledge that they had lost of how the spheres could have been used as a lunar calendar to predict lunar eclipses. Now, where we began was with the go-to authority in the, in the field of archeology span here in Costa Rica. And I would say the world too, because the spheres are here in Costa Rica. And that was the research paper that was written by the head archeologist at the National Museum of Costa Rica. It was in Spanish and it, it had a special protection on it. So you couldn't just copy and paste it in the Google Translate. Mariella was so awesome to have translated it for us on our show. And what this research paper indicated was no indication there was no mention of the spheres having possibly possibly been used as a lunar calendar there was some mention that one big problem everybody is that so many of the spheres no longer occupy their original positions they were moved um, they were discovered, I think, in the 19, yeah, 1930s. And yeah, many of them, they were moved out of their original positions. So it's very hard to try to put uh, some type of uh, correlation between them and anything astronomical, unfortunately. But not all hope is, is gone. So in this archeological uh, research document, it said that possibly some of the positions of the spheres represented certain, const well, uh, I think especially Orion. And these were some spheres that were still in their original positions. So uh, what, we, what I understand from the material was that uh, certain times of the year, Orion would be directly overhead and these spheres would correlate to Orion, the constellation Orion, okay? But that was about as far as it went, as far as uh, any type of astronomical um, significance to the spheres. Okay, there are two spheres. Let me just take a little sip. I have some ice and some... I don't wanna be all mumbly mumbly when I make my big announcement. <laughs> Oh, wife to the rescue. Thank you, baby. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. 
Oh, right on time. Okay. Now, there are two spheres that are located that are still in their original positions and they're, they're oriented east and west. Uh, and they're in Finca 6, Farm 6, which is in the southern part of Costa Rica in the territory of the Barucas. And they're aligned east and west such that they locate the position of the sun as it comes up on the spring equinox, okay? The spring equinox, which is usually around March the 20th. Okay. And actually, um, last, week, last year, in our, our, our second season went from September to December. And our first show of the second season, Tears and I actually traveled down to the territory of the Barucas and went to see the archaeological site where these two spheres are located. And we broadcast on um, fall equinox morning. There was a park in the town that had free Wi-Fi, and, we were, and it was called the Park of the Spheres. Oh, it was beautiful. Around 5.30 in the morning, the birds are chirping. We got these spheres all around us, and we come on with our second season. It was most excellent. Oh, it was so cool. And again, y'all can go check all this out. It's, on, it's still on, it's recorded on YouTube, Facebook, podcast, okay? Uh, Amazon, Apple, Google, and Spotify. Okay, so we went down there. And we saw these two spheres. Now, they are, they indicate a, uh, an intent to keep track of the motion of the sun, okay? To keep track of when, and it all starts from survival, everybody, knowing when springtime starts, which is the spring equinox, knowing when you plant your crops, right? survival knowing the clock of the earth nature right being in tune with nature and who knows how much trial and effort trial and error it took who knows maybe when humankind first started to, to plant crops maybe they tried it in the winter and they found out that didn't work too good right but over thousands of years because there's evidence now everybody that the oldest homo sapien fossil ever found from archaeology is 350,000 years old, okay? 350,000 years old. So we've been around a long time, okay? And there's all kind of theories about how the evolution went, but the point is, is that you had people way back in the day making flint tools and planting crops, okay? So who knows? Who knows how many hundreds of years it took to, to, to find out that, okay, we plant our crops in the spring. And then during the summer, they grow. And at the fall equinox, we harvest, right? Because we got to get ready for today, which is winter solstice, the start of winter. We better have our crops together and planted, right? So it's that accumulated knowledge that took a long time to get. So these two stone spheres 
that are oriented east and west, they definitely indicate a, a capability to keep track of the motions of the sun. Now, it's very evident that all the ancient cultures around the world began with observing the moon. You got to figure that's the easiest thing to observe, right? The moon. You can sit and watch the moon all night, where it comes up, where it goes down. Unless you got shades back in the day, <laughs> it's hard to watch the sun, right? So indicating that you're keeping track of the motion of the sun automatically indicates that you're keeping track of the motion of the moon. And, uh, and last year, uh, what I talked about was the, the two things you, would, the things you would need to know in order to be able to predict a lunar or a solar eclipse are what's called the lunar nodes. They're the two points in the sky where the paths of the sun and the moon cross, okay? And if you know those two points, and if you know when there's gonna be a full moon or a new moon, and if that's gonna be close to either of those points, you got a very good probability of being able to tell when there's gonna be a full or, a, sorry, a solar or lunar eclipse. In other words, if you know the point in the sky where the path of the sun and the path of the moon are going to cross, and you know that the phase of the moon at that time is going to be a full moon, then it's a pretty good chance that you're going to have a solar eclipse. And then on the other hand, if you know a point where the sun and the moon's paths cross, and it just so happens that there's gonna be a new moon close to that point, then you got a good probability that there's gonna be a, a lunar eclipse. So uh, I talked about that, but I wanna get into my big announcement, which is gonna go over into astrology. So I'm gonna go to Stellarium. Actually, um, first thing I wanna do this is a PowerPoint presentation that I gave to a mother-daughter's uh, organization group about three years ago. And for those of you listening, it's called Natural Physics, Natural Physics, Natural Physics, I better take another sip. <laughs> Natural Physics Global Outreach presents an evening with the constellations of the Zodiac. I'm gonna kind of jump around in this because there's parts of it that pertain to what I want to talk about. Okay, I'm going to go to the very last page. Okay, uh, very last page. Now, well, actually, let me start with explaining what the zodiac is. That would be a good thing to do. Okay, so as, as the Earth rotates around the sun, there's different constellations that come into view from the Earth. <clears throat> as it goes around this circle, okay? And from ancient times, everybody, I mean, we're talking thousands of years ago, different cultures started seeing in the different uh, groups of stars, different things. Uh, Western civilization, Africa, Asia, Central America, excuse me, but they all saw familiar objects in the group of stars that they would see 
in, in, in the space of a year, right? As the earth rotates around the sun. So different cultures named these, uh, these groups of stars. And you're familiar with the 12 constellations that make up our zodiac. But everybody, astronomy and astrology, who can say who's the oldest? What's the oldest, okay? Because you got to figure when whoever it was that aligned those two spheres at Fanca 6, they wanted to know whether it was the Baruka or the civilization or culture that preceded the Baruka or preceded that culture. Who knows how far, how thousands of years it goes back? These spheres go back. But somebody wanted to know when spring started. Somebody wanted to know when the sun came up on the spring equinox that it was springtime. And that's why those two spheres are aligned the way they are. Okay? Now, in order to observe the sun coming up, that means getting to your location about two hours or so before the sun comes up, right? So your eyes can get acclimated and ready for the sunrise. So I'm pretty sure that whoever is going to keep track of when the sun comes up is going to see if there's a particular constellation that the sun comes up in, right? It's still dark enough. You can see a constellation. And then here comes the sun. Okay, so uh, let's see. So we're talking about the precession of the equinoxes. And all that means, everybody, is that on the spring equinox, the sun comes up in a particular constellation. The vernal equinox, the spring equinox, it moves. It's a precession, right? So there's a timetable, and I'm going to go, see, uh, those of you listening, please go to this YouTube so you can see the visual or the Facebook. Uh, so see, there's, a, there's, a, there's another picture of how the sun coming up on the equinox, it appears in different constellations. So I'm going to go to the very last page, and this is what it shows. Um, okay, here we go. And for those of you listening, I'll read it. From 10,860 10, before Common Era to 8,700 before Common Era, it was the age of Leo. In other words, when the sun comes up on the spring equinox, it stayed in the uh, constellation of Leo for around, what, 2,260 years. Age of Cancer, from 8,700 before Common Era to 6,540 before Common Era, Age of Cancer. 6,540 before Common Era to 4,380 before Common Era, Age of Gemini. 4,380 before Common Era to 2220 before Common Era, Age of Taurus. I'm just going to say B-E-C-E. -E. You're tired of hearing me say before Common Era. <laughs> okay, Age of Aries. 2220 B-C-E to 60 B-C-E. And then Age of Pisces, 
60 BCE to CE 2100. Now, again, you're talking 2160 years between when a constellation or when the sun comes up in a constellation. A stellarium that biologists um, believe was the forerunner of the Greek civilization on the, on the Greek mainland. The Minoan civilization wor worshiped the bull, the celestial bull Taurus. And it is, as I said, their civilization is thought to have begun around 3000 BCE. So perhaps they worship the celestial bull Taurus because that's when their civilization began. And even before them, the, um, the Sumerians, that civilization is recognized as the first civilization, which began around, uh, around uh, 4,000. BCE. And again, there's a lot of indication from the Sumerian culture that Taurus the bull was uh, worshipped. In fact, let me go to another. Oh, and one more thing before I leave this slide. Because the age of Leo is from 10,860 BCE to 8,700 BCE, there's some people that think that the Sphinx, because it has the body of a lion, Unfortunately, the face has been damaged, but many people think, well, first of all, the age of the pyramids and the Sphinx are a lot older than had been established as being around 2500 BCE. No, 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 a lot older than that. In fact, uh, it's been uh, found that the Egyptian calendar was established around 4200 BCE. So, right, and in order to get a calendar, how much preceding observations had to been made in order to get enough data, in order, enough to, in order to accumulate enough data to have enough to put together a calendar. So the Egyptian civilization is a lot older than has been taught. Okay, so again, uh, the age of Leo being in this time range and the Sphinx being in the shape of a, of a lion, the body of a lion, could indicate that that was, that was telling us that that's when the Egyptian civilization started, sometime during the age of Leo, between 10,860 to 8,700 BCE. Okay, now, let's go to, okay, let's go back to the Zodiac. Now, um, the ancient Sumerians, by the way, who again is considered the first civilization, it's almost, it's possible that they had the first zodiac and that all other zodiacs came from them. And this, this um, uh, uh, presentation I gave, this was their 12 constellations and the names for them, okay? I'm not gonna go through them but those of you that are looking, you can read this and see them. They had one for each. All the 12 uh, constellations that, that we had, they call, them, they call them differently. And here's what they look like, okay? Okay, there's Aquarius, Pisces, Aries, Taurus, 
Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, now I'm going to go to Stellarium and we're going to get to my uh we're going to get to my discovery. Okay. Here we got Stellarium everybody and I've already typed into uh the location of Fanca 6, Farm 6 in the uh, territory of the Baduka. So, let's spin around to the east, which is where the two spheres are located. Okay. Now, what I want to do is I want to go to uh, the spring equinox of last year of 2021. So, uh, okay. So I'm going to change 2021 and I'm going to go to March 2021. Okay. All right. Oh, actually, what I want to do, I want to go a little bit before that. Uh, let's go to uh, the 20th. March 20th. March 20th. Yeah, 19th. I said March 19th, 2021. That's the day before the equinox of, uh, spring equinox of last year. And let's see what constellation Stellarium tells us that the sun came up with. Okay? So let's do that. So... I'm going to go down here, okay, and let's get it going. Again, those of you on the podcast, please check this out on YouTube. Okay, so we're going to speed it up. Okay, oh, see, that's a little bit too fast. Okay, yeah, on, on Stellarium, you do about four clicks, and it's going too fast. So let me go back. Okay, so let's go. Okay. Okay, so now... Okay, I'm slow it down. Okay, so it is 4:26 in the morning on March 19th. So whoever wants to see uh, 2021, whoever wants to see the sun come up is gonna be. Oh, I'm I'm really gonna trip y'all out in a minute, but just watch. This is so. This is now. So here comes. Slow it down. Okay, now. Oh, one thing I need to do. I'm sorry. I need to go and um, okay. Now we got the constellations, and we got the names of the constellations. Okay, I needed to do that, everybody. And this is a podcast, correct, honey? This is a podcast. So those listening, those listening on Stellarium, I have put in the names of the constellations. So that we that we can see the constellation that the sun comes up most close to on spring equinox of last year. Okay, so here we go. All right. Okay. Spring. Okay, because it is March twentieth, baby. They can't hear. No, I just want to understand. Okay. The equinox is it coming up off the Caribbean from the Pacific side? We're looking from the two spheres that are oriented east and west in Palma Sur. So they're coming up over the uh, east horizon. Okay, so there you go. Okay, so here we go, everybody. Okay, okay, so here comes the sun. Okay. From the Caribbean. Now there we go. So there's the sun. And we see it's, 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 it's by Pisces, okay? And Aquarius is right, 
you see how Aquarius is right next to it. So now let's do this, everybody. Let's go back to 4000 BCE, right? That's when, that was around the time of when the age of Taurus started. So let's do that. Okay. All right. So I want to go to the uh, date time window. This is so freaky when I first did this, everybody. So I'm going to go back to negative, negative 4,000. Okay, let's see. Okay, let's see. Okay, four. Can I talk during your going back to 4,000? If they can hear you. Okay, oh, they, I don't know if they can hear me. Oh. So negative 4,000. So now, everybody, we're going to check. We're going to see how where the sun comes up on spring equinox. 4,000 BCE. Isn't that cool? Okay, check this out. All right. Okay, so. Okay, here we go. Okay, so. All right. Okay, so. Yep, 4,000 BCE. Okay, so let's speed it up a little bit. Okay. Oh, I need to. Uh, yeah, this is from Finca 6. This is what. This is what the Baduka or whoever it was would have been around in 4000 BCE at those two spheres looking at the sunrise on spring equinox of 4000 BCE, 6,000 years ago. Okay. So it's rising in the Caribbean and setting in the Atlantic, which the, the distance between the Central Valley of the Caribbean and the Atlantic, the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean, is only 85 miles. Okay. So if they're in Palmadale Sur, they're watching it. That makes a great freaking insight, honey, that they were watching the sun rising okay. on the Caribbean. Okay. Right? And then watching it set okay. on the Pacific. True that. Okay. That's lunar. Okay, so now we're at five nineteen AM. So let's keep let's keep rocking and rolling with the spheres. Okay. Speed it up a little bit. Okay. So the sun came up in Aries, right? 4,000 BCE. You know what? For Taurus, I think I needed to go back a little bit further. Hold up. Let's see. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, reset. Okay. Uh, real quickly, I'm sorry, everybody. Let me just go back to the one slide that showed uh, the time frame. Okay, that was the very last page. Explain the time frame, baby. Okay, so Taurus was from 4,000. Okay, so I needed to do, I, and you see from this uh, table how it showed the sun coming up in Solarium. I set it to 4,000 BCE. It showed that the sun came up in the age of Aries, right? Okay. Uh, okay, so anyway, let's, let's, let's go back to Solarium. And uh, let's set it to, let's set a Stellarium. Ray, I'm just gonna go a little bit over because I'm, I'm, I'm getting to my, I'm getting to my announcement. Okay, okay. So let's go to the time. Let's set it to, let's set it to negative, negative three, three, three thousand. BC, okay, 3000 BCE, and we're doing the spring equinox, 
we're we're just going to assume that it's going to be around the same time, even though they didn't keep track of those things back then. Okay, so yeah, now, so now through that. Okay, so now we're at three thousand BCE, right before uh, the spring equinox. So let's go. Okay, we're we're at. Uh, okay, I'm gonna speed it up. Okay, so now. Okay, we're gonna speed it up. Okay, here we go. You see the constellations coming up on the horizon, looking at the east and west as the two spheres indicated at, at Finca 6. Okay, speed, speed it up a little bit more. Okay, slow it down. Okay, you see Aquarius coming up. Okay. When he speeds now, down, when he slows it down, he's looking at okay. constellations in the sky. So now, here we go, and the sun is coming up, and you see there is Taurus. So the sun, in that time frame of 3000 BCE, the sun came up closest to the constellation Taurus. It had just left air, uh, it was um, just left air, uh, on the way to Aries. Leaving Taurus, let's see. Northwest. Yeah, leaving Taurus on the way to Aries, everybody. Okay, so here comes my announcement. All right. Could I have a little bit of sip, please? Oh, well, here's my quick soda. Okay. <laughs> because, as I said, the fact that you had two spheres oriented east and west indicates. And you know what? I think I can. Um, I think everybody gets the point. You see that every 2,160 years, the sun comes up in a different constellation. Okay, it precesses. It goes through all 12 zodiac constellations. So I'm gonna go back to camera. Okay, here we are back. Okay, babe, would you like to get on camera? Sure. Okay. So everybody. I believe that whether it was the Baduka or those who preceded the Baduka or those who preceded them, the two spheres that are oriented east and west not only kept track of the sun coming up on the spring equinox to let them know when it was spring and that they needed to plant their crops for survival, but I also think that they kept track of, think about it, if you're there a couple of hours ahead of sunrise to see the sun come up, you're going to start to notice what whatever constellation you call it, you're going to start to notice when the sun comes up in that constellation or closest to that constellation. So I believe the Baduka, part of the forgotten knowledge, the knowledge that they have lost, that their ancestors had, was that their ancestors kept track of what age it is. And if you look at Stellarium, Aquarius is right there. The sun is about to go when it rises on the horizon in the east on spring equinox, it's about to be closest to Aquarius as opposed to um, Pisces. And I grew up in the 60s. There's a very classic song by the fifth dimension called The Age of Aquarius. 
And without doing too much damage, I would like to sing a few verses from that song. And those, out, those of you out there who aren't familiar with it, check it out. It's a classic, okay? This was written in the 60s, and it talks about that the age of Aquarius is coming. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Take a sip. <clears throat> okay, fifth dimension, I seriously apologize. When the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, then peace will guide the planets and love will steer the stars. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, age of Aquarius. Okay, there you go. Okay, but check it out. Awesome song. Awesome song, right? And 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 everybody, do you remember how 10 and then we're about to we're, we're about to close it down. 10 years ago, December 21st, 2012, because the Mayan calendar had said that the that it ended on December 21st, 2012. And by the way, that was winter solstice 2012, December 21st. But because the Mayan calendar ended, a lot of people thought that the end of the world was coming. But to the very contrary, everybody, a lot of civilizations, such as the Zulu, they said that, no, December 21st, 2012, winter solstice 2012, would hearken in, and you know I want to use that word, would hearken in a new age of revelation and enlightenment. Let's hope that's true, okay? All right, everybody. Um, Ray, thank you for letting me go over. Thanks, Ray. And um, I would oh, like to husband. say, mm, thank you, baby. Um, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. Bruce and Mariella, they're original members of the Fat Pack. Now, Fat Pack, Fat, P-H-A-T, stands for physics with attitude. I have one last Okay, let me, let me finish my little blurbage. Um, physics with attitude, everybody. Enjoying physics as the window into our amazing world of nature and mathematics as the tool to open that window. So back to the Baduka or their predecessors being able to know what the age of the zodiac it is excuse me, every 2,160 years. Again, civilizations go a lot further back than what we were uh, taught. And I put the Baduka or their predecessors right up there with the ancient Egyptians, the Mayan, the Inca, the Aztec, the Sumerian. Because again, when you indicate a, um, a concern and a capability to keep track of the motions of the sun and the moon, that's an advanced civilization, all right? And they used nature and earth to survive, to know and to be very close to nature. Okay, so with that, that is my discovery, everybody. I do think, and actually, let me say this. Uh, last year, when Tears and I went down to Palma Sur, we weren't able to meet with the Badukas. But 
the women elders of the community have indicated that they are ready to welcome us and to talk. So now I have something to tell them, right? I have something to, 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 to contribute to the conversation. And of course, I'll have to have a, a translator that can go from English to Spanish and Spanish to Baruca. But hey, we're a global community and we'll get it done. Okay, so yeah. so um, so we will be, uh, oh, I look so forward to giving a natural physics presentation to the Baduca community. Okay, baby, what did you wanna say? What I would really wanted to say, baby, is that, uh, so you were born February 1st, okay? So you're an Aquarian, correct? Yes. Okay, so you, you and I was, I'm a Gemini on May 24th, and I'm a Gemini, so you're an Aquarian, I'm a Gemini, the fire signs and all that yes so do you assume because you're an aquarian you're a water sign or do you think maybe because i'm an air sign as a gemini that you could be an air sign as a gemini we need mental stimulation so all of a sudden the i'm just curious what do you think well um because being an aquarian i naturally mm -hmm. thought i was a water sign mm -hmm. And then I found out that I was an air sign. Who did you find that out from? Yeah. My very, very, very loving wife. Wait, <laughs> that's not. LW has never been in Oh, the SW's yeah, smart, smart wife. wife. Okay. Superwoman, smart wife. Okay, so. Now, just married, don't wait, take wait, a little wait. bit and just go a mile. I'm going to okay? go. So. Okay. Air sign. So figure okay. out your sign. Figure out that you have a big closet full of extra blankets and t-shirts and sweatshirts and and all kinds of things that could keep people warm. Put them in your trunk when you're driving down the road and you kind of see someone a little bit cold. Drop off something warm. That's my kind of thing. It is the holidays. And, and they, I think my husband and, and Ray and Bruce and and all of you uh, listeners for putting up with, I don't want to say putting up with my husband, but however, he, he forgets he's on a radio show. And so he shared all the constellations and all that. But it's a great thing to see. Please look it up on YouTube. Look it up on Facebook. But look my husband up because, man, he's got a heart as big as a freaking planet. And we don't know how big the planet is. And I have very, very, very blessed to have coworkers that um, their hearts are as big as a planet that allow us for our cheer of duty. We're sounding mushy right now. Oh, painfully so. Bye. Okay. Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to close Happy out. holidays. Well, Excuse so, me. So, so, Merry, Merry Christmas. -a so stay here for this. I'm going to close out. So everybody, again, I have not come across anywhere in the literature that says the Baduka or their predecessors were capable of knowing what age of the Zodiac we're in. Mm -hmm. So again, if you're able to keep track of what constellation the sun comes up in, and if your civilization goes back thousands of years, then you're able to know when the age of Pisces <laughs> is gonna end and the age of Aquarius is gonna begin. And I truly believe they had that capability and when I don't think tears has indicated she will not be so um, enthusiastic to go with me this time. So I may be going solo, <laughs> but 
when I go back down there and it'll be for the spring equinox, right? The energy, I will be able to talk with the women elders and tell them about, I think that their ancestors knew what age of the Zodiac we were in by virtue of those two spheres that are oriented east and west. And oh, isn't it lucky we still have those two that are still in their original positions. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. And um, please, oh, and by the way, real quickly. Thanks, Ray. The last podcast we did was April, the Ukraine special. Well, on spring equinox and summer solstice and fall equinox, I did a little restream public announcement on YouTube and Facebook. So you can always check those out. But as far as podcasts, tune in. Same. Tune in next spring equinox. Same fat time. Same fat channel.